This is episode number 23 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. We drop new episodes of this podcast every Monday. You can find them on Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, and of course our website, the new website at thebeardedmarketers.com. so good. Take a second, check out all the new content we got up there. We got some good research articles and most of all, our new website tune-ups, videos where we do live run-throughs of websites. Corey and I talk about how we would I guess optimize them, make them better. Yeah, or just really tear down the whole thing and start over. <laughs> we like to wreck lives on these things. <laughs> but seriously, take a look at them. Um, Thebeardofmarketers.com slash tuneups. We also let people submit their own pages and we'll, um, I guess, review them live on yeah. one on a future episode. So, And we're not as harsh as we make it out to be. But our goal is to, you know, the podcast is great. We talk about a lot on here, but it does lack some of the visual connection, which we think the tune-ups will in giving you guys some strategic advice, but also something that's tangible as well. Because we do not only review these sites, but show you what we might actually change doing some mock-ups and things like that. So I think there's a lot to be learned there. So check it out, submit your own site, be a guinea pig. And I think that you will gain a lot from it. Yeah, absolutely. Along with the new site comes our new brand new newsletter as well. So please head to the site and sign up for that. We won't spam you too much, probably just once a week or so. I don't know. Um, Social and, security numbers, things like that. No yeah. Deal. Yeah. We'll just let you know about all the new things we're posting to the site. Um, and of course, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus. We post a lot of things there that we don't actually talk about on the podcast or get a chance to post to the website. So follow us on the social networks and you'll get a lot more uh, good info. As we do every week, Rob, what are you drinking? I'm switching it up. I'm trying to go manly this episode. Uh, Johnny Walker Black, but it's on the rocks, you know. Oh, okay. Trying to grow out the beard a little bit. Yeah. And I am going cultural this week in a margarita. Not a spicy one like I've had in the past, <laughs> but it's still very tasty. So if you like the recipe for the margarita, it's actually two parts tequila, one yes. part lime, lemon, actually, and one part contro. So it's actually quite tasty. Anyways, so let's go ahead and get started. Again, this is episode number 23. First of all, before we get started, give us a call if you have any topics you'd like us to talk about. 904-270-9603. Leave us a voicemail with your suggestion or what you've been really pulling your hair out about, and we'll cover it in next week's episode. But for this one, we're going to be talking about, I think, a wide swath of topics, and I think it's going to be quite interesting. So we're going to start off the episode talking about Facebook launching a test into the payment space, particularly mobile. We're also going to talk about how shipping might influence people's abandonment uh, and their thoughts on the shipping process. Yeah, we're also going to talk about SEO and what that means today and how some of the strategies have changed. And we're going to wrap up talking about free trials, free products, freemium, all these different free things out there and how companies can sort of turn these free customers into paying ones. Mm, it's all about the dollars. Yeah. So let's go ahead and kick things off. Facebook. So this week there, it was reported that Facebook is actually conducting a test with one of their partners, Jack Threads, which does a lot of, I would say, flash sale type of transactions, kind of similar to Fab and a lot of other companies that are doing kind of this flash sale. This is only up for 48 hours and then we run out, we run out. Um, but what was interesting about it is they're actually testing into the mobile payment processing uh, arena, which there's a lot of small startups in the space. Obviously, PayPal is, is the biggest player, probably. I know that Visa and MasterCard are trying to get in on the action and a number of other 
bigger banks even, you know, like Bank of America, I think, is trying to get in on the action. But Facebook is kind of pushing its hand and trying to get into the space as well. Uh, reportedly, they have quite a few credit cards on file with whether that's microtransactions with games. It's always surprised to me how many people actually play games <laughs> on Facebook, but I won't judge. Um, but also... I don't know if many people have noticed, I'm sure you have because Facebook puts it all in your face, is buying gifts for people's birthday. Apparently people use that, which is also another shocker, but they have credit cards on file from that as well. So what Facebook uh, in their statement is actually trying to craft is just a very streamlined process to make mobile payments. And they feel that um, with their database of existing credit cards, apparently if you use a credit card on Facebook, you automatically agree for them to store it and all your billing information. So the tactic that they're actually trying to take is, you know, using them as a payment processor is really easy if you've done it in the past. Kind of how Amazon and a, I mean a ton of other retailers actually store your information with the goal of making a purchase on a mobile device is easy because everything's already done with it you know, that you need to do as given that your uh, payment details haven't changed. So I thought it was interesting that Facebook is getting into space at this point. I mean, it's kind of almost late into the game and I would have expected them to get in or throw their hat in earlier than this. So, well, I think it's, you know, obviously Google attempted this. I mean, back when, was it originally called wallet? Is that, is that what it's called now? Or I can't remember. (sighs) I know it was Google Checkout at some point. Okay, so Google Checkout, right. I have the little shopping cart on my desk. I don't know why I didn't remember that. But okay, so Google Checkout. And, you know, they sort of attempted to rival the likes of PayPal. And you still come across them sometimes out there. But hands down, it's still PayPal. So I I don't understand how Facebook... I mean, obviously, everyone's always logged into their Facebook account. Everyone's always logged into their Google account as well. I think what's surprising to me is with all of these sort of integrations is that we still haven't come to a way to really... Make it almost like the one-click sort of payment that Amazon has. You know what I mean? So if you go to a site, I'm already logged into my Facebook account, and I pick out all the products I want, why isn't there just at the bottom of that shopping cart just like a pay with Facebook, pay with Google, pay with PayPal button that just one-click almost like confirm this is what you want to do, and then done? Why isn't that a thing? I don't think anyone does that. Well, I think a couple things. I mean, one... I think there's a trust issue there. I mean, I don't know as many people trust Facebook with their credit card details. Okay. I mean, I think that maybe the perception of the general public of a company like Amazon to Facebook is different. I go to, you know, for some reason there's a disconnect with people of I'm fine with giving Facebook all my personal information minus my credit card details. But also, you know, you have to eventually get to the point where it makes sense to give them that information other than them proposing, why don't you give us your credit card? And then later on, you can use that for purchases. You know, there's, there's not that really streamlined. I tell that to all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Make it easy. But I, I don't know if Facebook has really broached that point. You know, Amazon has an easy route into that because right. they're obviously a merchant. But you know, for Facebook, they have to get a little bit maybe more creative for people that don't buy gifts or, I don't know, give Farmville ungodly amounts of money for their amazing game. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the first company to sort of do that properly, which I, I still, you know, so, sort of submit has not been done properly. I mean, PayPal obviously being the biggest, but, mm-hmm. you know, so many people have huge problems with PayPal. I mean, I've never really had an issue, but I, well, think, I think that part of that is they're, they're tying with eBay and the problems that that 
kind of created right. in and of itself. Uh, anytime you're dealing with that type of transaction of used goods and things like that, it's just going to breed itself with some issues. But yeah, well, I think there's a huge issue with um, just the just how a lot of those third party payment processes work. The fact that you know just Joe Schmo can sort of accept payments for things just introduces a whole host of issues, which mm-hmm. is why so many people dislike PayPal. There's just inherently problems with how the whole model works. But I think you may be right in terms of. I know there's at least a semi-generation out there that doesn't trust Facebook with even their, you know, personal information in terms of like email address and things like that. So how are they going to trust them with a credit card? Well, and I, I will also say that, you know, there is a risk when you start dealing with people's money. It's it's one thing to piss people off with a new newsfeed layout. It's another to introduce the concept of potentially screwing up people's finances and the amount of negative PR mm. or losing a customer, I think is potentially higher. I mean, there's obviously financials to gain with per, you know, un- having all that information, storing it, being able to sell it, being able to market to these people, understanding more about users. But I also think there is also a, a bigger risk as well when you start handling people's finances in a more direct way and the potential fallout that can happen with that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in that space. But I think, to be honest, Facebook is just going to be another one of these companies that, that tries to throw its hat in and, you know, eventually disappears because maybe the time for that has already passed to make strong inroads. But but we'll see. I've been wrong about things in the past, but I don't think I will be on this. All right. Um, another thing we wanted to talk about today was uh, shipping. And I know we've sort of touched on specific parts of shipping, um, e-commerce goods in the past. I think we've talked about same day or next day shipping. And I know we've talked about giving proper delivery estimates for people when they check out. Um, I want to sort of step back a minute and sort of look at it more holistically and, and look at some of the general stats and, and talk about, you know, maybe our experiences as well with dealing with shipping. So this is from eConsultancy, their blog. And I guess they had sort of, you know, teamed up with TolunaQuickSurveys.com to sort of figure out, you know, how do people feel about shipping options, the lack of options, I guess, as well, and how do those things affect their buying decisions. So just right off the bat, sort of the statistic that they lead with is that 50% of the respondents to the survey had abandoned a purchase due to lack of delivery options in the past. And, you know, obviously that's a high impact sort of statement. So what does that mean? And, you know, thinking back to how I've used the web in the past, I think that Purchasing individual products that maybe aren't like mainstream, so like something that like every store has, something a little bit more, I don't know, rare to find, shipping is the thing that I make the decision on. If if I can only find like three stores, four stores that have it, I'm going with the one with the best shipping options. I'm not, not necessarily the cheapest, but the most rock solid like estimate, um, the pricing is very straightforward, I understand everything, that's the one I'm going with. So that was the sort of initial statistic that they led with. And then so, so they sort of broke that down. So what do delivery options mean to people? What are things that, you know, everyone wants when they check out? So here's a few stats for you. So 31% of people wanted a fixed date for delivery, which is, again, something we had talked about in the past. And I imagine that's a huge thing, especially during holidays. Or, you know, there's some goods that have a time expiration on them, whether that is taking a sports team as an example. They just won the championship. I want to show off my swag. You know, the Miami Heat just won or whoever it might be. I think it does tie into the excitement of the good. If I'm excited about buying this product, I want to show it off or anything around that. 
then shipping time, I think, does play into that because I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I think along that same vein is a lot of fashion sites I know online take forever to ship things. I mean, it's to the point where practically by the time I get the clothes, they're out of style, man. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's why I got to go to the store. Right. Your, your site ships it two weeks. Well, that's out of style now. All right. So what else is important to people? 24% wanted the ability to get it at local stores. Now, obviously, that only applies to certain types of merchants. But I think that that is... It's actually not a feature I take advantage of when I go to sites. I don't actually go through the hassle of like buying it online and then trying to go pick it up at the store. I just go straight to the store. I don't mm-hmm. go through their online checkout process. But I mean, it's definitely something that I think more Do and more people are inventory, using. inventory though before you go or you just risk it? I live by the seat of my pants. <laughs> if they have the check inventory, yes, ah. I will check it. So if it's easy uh, to do, you'll do it. Right. So my standard every Saturday, I run down to Home Depot. Um, <laughs> usually, get mad. <laughs> well, I just run into Home Depot. Actually, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's the weekend. What's the project for the weekend? You know, <laughs> what are we doing? What are we building? But no, I will check, check, obviously, stock at the store or I'll just drive around all day. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> but I refuse to buy something online that I'm not going to get delivered to me. The concept is foreign to me. Okay. All right. 24% want next day delivery. Again, who are these people waiting to the last like second to buy stuff online? I think in my life, I've maybe gotten next day delivery one time and I've ordered such an obscene number of things online. I can't even, <laughs> I don't even want to say it on air how many you're, times I've done that. You're on first name basis with the UPS. <laughs> well, actually, yes, I am. But. <laughs> James, he's such a nice fellow. <laughs> I think that, that maybe those are unique cases. Also, we do live in a metro area and I wonder if that changes for people that don't, but then it also raises a question of cost. I, you know, I, you were mentioning that shipping gets pretty expensive next day, but also if you live in a rural area. But I, I do know that for some people, they need a good because they're caught in a bad place and they and they need something, whether that's you know a car part or whatever it might be, and they just might not have a local option for it, so they need that immediate delivery. I think a lot of companies too. Well, let finish with your stats first, and we'll get into. Uh, we'll only have one left, and that is that 8% want same-day delivery. You people are crazy. Wow. Yeah. Which sort of Right, which sort of leads me into just a little sort of um, side segment here is that Amazon Prime, shout out again to Amazon, which we do, which I think I did in the last segment as well when so we were talking about Do you want to go ahead and send us some for free, a t-shirt? I'll take a nice credit under my Amazon account. That'd be lovely. But anyway, Amazon Prime offers same-day shipping in a lot of major cities. I think there's about roughly 10 15 around the country same day shipping four dollars yes please how are your logistics how do you even i mean for example seattle order at noon get it same day wow so well, i can't think of a portlandia reference fast enough of something <laughs> funny i'd buy off of amazon to have the same day but i think that going back to what led this study why i would abandon i think a lot of it stems from how far i have to go into your process to get delivery options so i've worked with a number of people in the past when i first get into their e-commerce store I have to essentially be at the credit card payment page before I'm even selecting shipping options. And I think that a lot of people aren't willing to go through that many unknowns or provide that much information, whether that's creating an account, moving through the cart, putting in my shipping information, all to try to get to the point of, am I even going to be able to get this in time? Because at the end of the day, we're selling online. 
unless you're in a super niche market, there's other people that are going to be offering it. And if you're making it too difficult or too time consuming to tell me when I'm actually going to get this, then it's very easy for me to go find it somewhere else. So I think that potentially it's not only the lack of options, but how far it takes me to understand when I can get this that might be driving that abandonment rate as well. So keep that in mind. If you're an e-commerce seller, maybe get a little bit more forward with your shipping information, or maybe this puts some fire under your butt to get better at your logistics or find some different partners because you know, looking at the stats, quick shipping is something that people are passionate about. They're so passionate that they'll actually abandon the process if they can't get the delivery options that they need. So that really puts the onus on us to having good shipping contractors to fulfill that, but also having good inventory control as well, that we have the products available and ready to ship as well. So moving right along, I wanted to take a time to sit down, all of us together, Talk about SEO because we ran into a good example of this this week, which we'll get into later on. But I feel like it's necessary to kind of point out how SEO has changed. So if we fast, you know, flashback waves, I can't make a a sound effect. But (laughs) a few years ago, SEO, to me at least, was kind of wild, wild west. There was a lot of tactics out there where you could dupe the results and It was also a time where you could test around some things and penalties for doing so were not that great. Maybe it just wouldn't work. Right. But there wasn't the problems of whole domains going down and getting burned by search engines and just being blacklisted. And your option for getting any organic traffic is now off the table. You know, that wasn't really the case a couple of years ago. You know, fast forward to where we're at current, and we're now in an SEO period, at least to me, where SEO is twofold. One is what is your tactics and strategies, which hasn't ever changed? You know, how can we get more organic traffic? But it's also risk management and looking at what are our tactics and strategies and do they line up with best practices? And why that's important nowadays is because the consequences of not following guidelines is very severe. Google, Yahoo, Bing even are going in and If you're not following these guidelines well, and what do I mean by that is following the no-follow guidelines, buying bad links, or getting unrelevant links by the dozens, and engaging with companies that take some shady practices, you're running the real risk now today of testing the waters, but ending up setting your domain on fire with with little hope of recovery. And I don't know how many people out there have actually gone through the process of trying to recover a domain that has come under some serious penalties. But a lot of search engines aren't known for their customer service. And it is really a roll of the dice if you get those, if you get them back. And now you've sunk years, uh, you know, potentially multiple years of work and actual real dollars into an investment that is now up in smoke. And so, you know, I wanted to take a time to talk about, you know, as SEO, we have to be very conscious about what we're actually doing and really being on point with what our strategies are and what guidelines have been provided to us. Again, I can't harp enough that good links are super important and having a portfolio of detrimental links that are not relevant or on shady sites can really cause you some significant heartache out there. And so 
to me, SEO, like I've said, has, has become a twofold thing where it's strategy, but also risk management. And there's a time to invest in things like a link analysis tool to look at what does our portfolio look like? Because as a marketing manager, you might be taking over a product that someone else has run for a number of years in the past. And there are these old links hanging out there that are actually contributing quite negatively to your site. And that is part of your job is to assess what has happened in the past because that's not a race. It's not forgotten. It can really cause you some significant harm. I know that you came under a uh, an interesting situation this week that kind of falls under this purview, which I'll let you right. recount I mean, the tale. Sort of in my other life outside of the bearded marketers, helping people deal with their SEO issues is what I sort of do on a day-to-day basis, helping all sorts of companies, small issues to large issues. And I think you, you know, you're right in terms of years ago, people did all of these different techniques, strategies, tips. You, you read them everywhere where it was the latest, hottest thing was get a bunch of junk content out there, get a bunch of junk links. Well, now here we are years later, a lot of those companies still have those things out there and there are terrible repercussions for those, you know, i.e., you know, getting your site completely smoked by Google, you don't show up anywhere anymore. Or these, at the very least, these tactics no longer work at all. And so now traffic across your network of sites or your main sites is is gone. So I think SEO nowadays is at least not so much proactive SEO in terms of let's go out, let's get links, let's go out, let's write content, let's go out, let's you know do whatever the latest tip or trick is. It's knowing what not to do and knowing all of the things that you can't get away with anymore. You know, because I've had many sites get smoked, and I, you know, I know what a lot of those things are. And like you said, there's mostly not anything, any way to come back from a lot of that stuff. So, in my recent, you know, this is what happened, I guess, within the last couple of weeks here. I don't want to name names. <laughs> I'll say it right now. No, I won't. Okay, so I won't name names. But <laughs> um, you know, a, a company we were working with was, you know, is partaking in a strategy that sort of is what a lot of companies have done over the years, and that is sort of a, a sponsored blog post. I mean, this is what companies did forever. You know, you pay a company to put your blog post out there. Well, inside this blog post, there were a lot of links. Again, something that everyone does. Let's build links. Let's, you know, we'll get some paid links out there. Well, the thing is is that now Google, I mean, at least specifically in their link building guidelines, says you cannot do that. And this is something that I think a lot of people who necessarily aren't in the SEO game know nothing about. And, you know, that's a very serious infraction against Google at this point. Not having those links no followed can sort of smoke your site. You do that enough, and now you've lost your main company's website. Right. Or, you know, they are penalizing you enough to where your organic traffic is severely dropped off because... Your SEO quality scores, we'll call it, has dropped down to a level where Google's really not trusting you in many of the results. And maybe it's only you're relinquished to only showing up for brand related searches or things like that. I don't want to paint the picture that if your domain's not smoked, then your SEO is is fine because there could be a lot of issues that are going on on the surface that are actually affecting the number of visitors that you have. Right. It's not like an all or nothing game. But I did want to point out with SEO that uh, it's not about following all the time the latest tips and tricks. It's also about what not to do and understanding those guidelines. And as marketing managers, especially with the content that we put out there, whether it's press releases, like you said, blog posts, uh, a lot of those things come under the purview of what can be seen by search engines uh, and can really cause some significant damage to our domains if we don't know what's what's working or what we should be doing. So your homework assignment for this week, look through the SEO guidelines. That I mean, Google publishes them. They're not necessarily the most detailed, probably on purpose, but but Google and being put out webmaster and SEO guides, take a look. What, what should you be doing? There are obviously some great areas But you should at least refresh yourself on a monthly or every two-month basis to see 
what are the latest you know things that I should not be doing as a marketing manager and making sure that all my campaigns are up to snuff um, and that I'm not causing myself damage by trying to do some antiquated technique that is no longer valid. Moving right along, I think you had a great topic on freemium because... You know, we all love free stuff. Yeah. You know, the latest, actually, I mean, this isn't the latest rage. This has been around for a while now on the internet. Free trials, free accounts, freemium accounts, all sorts of different versions of free. But at the end of the day, these companies, you know, run on money. And so how do they eventually plan on extracting money from these people? I want to talk about maybe some of the, you know, the strategies you can use for free trials, free accounts, freemiums, and some anecdotes I've some anecdotes from some partners that I've worked with in the past and how sort of free accounts and the freemium sort of strategies have worked for them and some things to look out for and maybe some little tips you pick up along the way. So let's start out talking about free trial. I think that's maybe one of the classic ones that everyone's familiar with. So it's sort of the classic enter your credit card right now and in seven days we'll bill you X whatever it is every month. But for now, the seven days, it'll be free. You know, obviously the pros of this are Someone doesn't have to pay for now, mm-hmm. right? And then in all of your advertisements, which is one of the biggest pluses, in paid search, for example, you can say free. So now you can put free everywhere, which everyone loves, Holy right? grail. Right. Mm-hmm. So everyone signs up for your free trial. And hopefully they don't cancel before the seven days and they and they sort of get stuck into your rotation <laughs> of, you know, um, paying for your product. So I think some of the, I think, downfalls of the strategy that I think people should be aware of before just going out and blindly doing what everyone else is doing with free trials is that, you know, yes, you're able to sort of advertise with the word free. At the same time, though, you need to be paying attention to um, how that actually affects your your retention rate on all of these people. I mean, are these people actually coming in just looking for a free account? And yes, maybe they're signing up for your free trial, but maybe they don't actually really understand it's a free trial. Because you're probably likely hiding the price like everyone else does. And by the time they figure out they do need to pay, they drop out because they never planned on actually paying. So by including the word free, you're paying for a lot of traffic and people and conversions that don't plan on paying you ever. Right. And there might be an actual technology cost to everyone that converts as a free member, whether that is space on your server, whether that's manpower, just managing that amount of members. There is probably a real cost to that that a lot of people, I think, forego or forget about. um, That even on your side, on a cost standpoint, that free isn't ever free. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so a couple other things with free trials are, you know, sort of the classic is let's take a credit card up front. That way, as soon as that thing expires, we're going to hit them. We're going to mm-hmm. hit their credit card. So another sort of strategy I've seen is Basecamp specifically takes the credit card afterwards. So your 30-day free trial starts with you just setting up an account and you're good to go. 30 days in, it sort of locks out access and you have to enter your billing information. Mm. And I think that's a great sort of strategy for certain kinds of software as a service vendors who by, by giving them a month to sort of integrate uh, into your product, they're sort of locked themselves in and now they have to. Right. You're like building a reliance on the product. And you've made it so easy to get into that funnel because I don't have to enter my credit card up front. I've been using your, your product for so long. There is no free version. You jump into a paid version. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting thing. I obviously use Basecamp for everything. I think you do too. So (laughs) yeah, I do use their products. I mean, from, for freemium, I mean, a couple of things that I've noticed along the way is if you're going to offer a free account, number one, make it easy. If you want me to buy into a product, don't make it so hard with little help that I can't understand your product because if, if it's free, then I haven't invested anything and it's nothing for me to leave either. So there is something to invest 
invest in, whether that is tool tips as people enter in a product to kind of guide them along the path. I think a lot of people rely on a product tour once you get in, but that's the end of that. They don't continue to kind of nurture the people and understand the product. So number one, you've actually sent it through some usability studies. It's easy to use. You've really thought through your UI and that it's intuitive, or at least you're steering people in how to understand it. But also, I feel like a lot of companies, they convert you into a free trial. They don't do a great job of teaching you about why this product is so revolutionary or why you need to integrate it within your life. And they might follow up with a standardized email drip program, you know, five tips today for using our product. But they haven't really gone out and tried to make this an integral part of your life, whether that is, you know, installing a mobile app to continue to reach out to you on that front. Or, you know, I just recently signed up for a product that's actually quite good called Optimizer, uh, which works on AdWords and uh, providing some good tools and scripts there. Um, But, you know, looking at their free products, one thing that they could do quite, quite well is maybe even develop a Chrome or a Firefox add-on that charts daily performance or performance alerts Uh, into my AdWords account. And then what that affords you the opportunity of is now you've offered this free product, but also you've built out these other areas where I can get in front of the customer's face with these add-ons, these plugins, these mobile apps, and I can continually remind them of the value of this product and create that reliance like you were talking about. And so it becomes something that I can't live without and I want to invest in. I want to get continue this trial and maybe even get those pro features. And I'm not always relying on the customers, you know, remembering their login information, trying to remember my products. I've gotten in front of them at this point and I'm showing my value and not necessarily relying on them trying to remember that or hoping that by 30 days that they've bought in. You know, I've gotten a little bit more in their face about it. Uh, yeah. Hopefully built out a good process around that. Yeah, I think those are all great points. And, you know, I've worked with a couple of companies that had free accounts that sort of limited some of the functionality, at least in terms of like volume of what you're allowed to do. So maybe limit user accounts, things like that. And what they found is that overall, 90 something percent of these free account members never actually upgrade to paid people. So what you've sort of, and I think that there's maybe some psychology involved with that, but also I think sort of pointing back to what I was saying about free trials is yes, you're maybe advertising free and you're getting all these free people in there, but these are people who never intend on paying you money. And this may be a result of just, maybe there are small people who just need your small little plan. Sure. Maybe it's a result of you haven't split up your features in a way that limits people enough to want to jump to the the paid version. Free is good enough. Right. Well, I think that there's also a huge part that I think a lot of people maybe don't understand from the product endpoint, and, and that is that users who sign up for a free account oftentimes at least mentally lock themselves within the confines of their free account. And, you know, even if it's just $5 a month or whatever it is, like they've mentally locked themselves within, like, this is free and I'm just going to do whatever I can do in the free account. And if it's paid for, I'm just not going to pay for that. And I don't need really need that feature. You know, I even see that in the business world where $5 a month on the business credit card account means nothing, but they're still not willing to sort of take that 
that step. leap to ask for exactly it or the, the leap to actually just get a bait account and so that's another thing to sort of look at so you know what's interesting too is i've seen some companies take the tactic of social payment i know that fab in particular they give you if you share a purchase that you make and then someone else purchases or five other people share it, you get like a $25 credit or things Mm. like that. I know that some companies are kind of trying to take this tactic of, we know that X amount of free accounts, we get one conversion or whatever it might be. And so I have seen some kind of delve into the, can we potentially get brand ambassadors out there that we're accepting alternate forms of payment, whether that is publicity or, or whatever it might be. So I think that might be an interesting tactic. You might have to see in the long term how that holds up. But I have seen some companies kind of explore that I'm actually, kind of route. I'm actually building that into a couple of sites and building here Ooh. coming up for uh, a certain industry I'm not going to talk about. But right. so, we'll, so we'll have some results coming up here. All right. So let's kind of continue that conversation over the social networks. What have you worked with on the freemium side of things that has worked well? What have you seen that hasn't? Also, feel free to give us a call, 904-270-9603. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about next week. What have you been struggling with or what has been just a burning question in your heart? Between Rob and I, we got a lot of experience in the industry, and I think we probably touched something around that. Or we can reach out to one of our friends that work out here in the industry as well. This has been episode number 23 of the Bearded Marketers. It's been a pleasure this week. Let us know how you're enjoying the new site. I know it was a lot of work for Rob and I to put it together, and we're enjoying it. But we got a lot of things in store coming out continually on that. So let us know how you feel about it. What changes would you make? But until next time, this is Rob and Corey, and we are the Beard Marketers. We'll see you next week.